Hello and welcome to Wooden Teeth, the podcast about truth-telling on politics and health. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today's truth. We can learn a lot about youth mental health from young people themselves. That's why I spoke with Lily Petit and Braden Turner, both of whom are seniors at Lewis Palmer High School here in Colorado. Lily and Braden launched a podcast of their own back when they were sophomores called The Prosperity Project, which focuses on mental health. They tackle topics including suicide, stress, burnout, social comparison, and societal standards. Braden is also an ambassador for Safe to Tell, a program here in Colorado that empowers young people to keep their communities safe. And Lily serves on the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Teen Board and writes monthly columns for the Tri Lakes Tribune. These uh, are exceptional kids. And while no person can represent an entire generation, I spent some time chatting with Lillian Braden about the state of youth mental health, particularly drawing from their experience in their own community and from the significant time they've invested in research and advocacy on this topic. We're facing a lot of problems in this world. And when you hear from these two young people, I think it might give you a little more hope about our ability to build a better world. Here's my conversation with Lily Potit and Braden Turner. Braden and Lily, welcome to Wooden Teeth. Awesome. Thank you. Hello. So let's begin by learning a little bit more about you. What was your journey in coming to focus on mental health and to launch this podcast? So it started with us kind of joining actually a couple of teen boards and organizations surrounding mental health awareness in our community, just as we kind of looked at the variety of sources within our like little monument community. And we were kind of concerned on just the impact they were having and also just kind of increasing the advocacy of it. So we started by joining these teen boards, one of them being the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Teen Board and another one being Sources of Strength at our own school. And we realized that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of adult voices out there, but there's not a lot of like adolescent input for such, you know, an important and vital topic, especially within today's politics and just today's health. So we decided to start our podcast, The Prosperity Project, and we met with a couple of teachers at our school asking what they thought about it. And now we record and we ask a couple of, we, we've interviewed a bunch of different people. We've interviewed mental health professionals. We've interviewed school or students at our school, just talking about their personal mental health journey all in efforts just to increase increase awareness from a student's perspective. You mentioned that you've been in spaces where when talking about mental health, there's a lot of adult voices, but there aren't many adolescent voices. I'm wondering when you speak to adults about these issues, where do the gaps in understanding tend to be? What disconnects do you find? I think it's mostly just deriving from the source of per se, like a mental health crisis or like someone's mental health dropping a lot of like parents tend to kind of hyper analyze things and kind of pick apart their kids everys activities or like friend groups or maybe social media influences and blame it solely on that when it can be a lot of combined sources leading to a drop in their mental health and 
I think there's also a gap in understanding just that like vulnerability between the parent and the child. Sometimes I know that we've both speaking at conferences and panels in which we've been asked, like, how do I how do I know if my kid is struggling with their own mental health and how do I help them? And that's kind of the gap that we're hoping to kind of make a bridge between Um, just as parents want to help their kid and the kid obviously wants to receive as much help from their parents as they want. So in your episodes, you interview a variety of people who provide mental health support, such as a social worker, a pediatrician and student peer supporters. So it's great to know that there's at least some support for you and your classmates. But I'm wondering if I were to give you a magic wand, what would you do to provide any more needed support for you and your classmates when it comes to mental health? Yeah, so I think the obvious immediate answer um, that comes to my mind is just funding with within schools. Here at LP, we're lucky enough to have a very good sources of strength program, which is like a student peer-to-peer club kind of where we host little events and do little activities at school kind of just to remind students where they can get help or who they should talk to if mental health problems are occurring. But we're honestly one of the few schools within even our own county that actually has this program uh, implemented effectively. Even our our sister school, Palmer Ridge, their Sources of Strength Club is almost not even operational. It's I think they're trying to get it back up and running. So um, that's something that we've kind of worked on with various organizations. Uh, We just helped with a local church and the Run for Hope 5K that they did, which all proceeds went to various schools in our county for mental health programs for teachers and students to put on in their schools. So I think that's the biggest thing because students spend so much time within schools. You know, it's like you're basically at school just as much um, as you're at your own house. And so you've got to have a lot of support just in that single environment. And I think if you don't have that fundamental layer of support within a school, you're not going to know where to get help anywhere else. So I would say the same exact thing. It's as Brayden said, we spend so much time in school and knowing that school is a really busy place for a lot of people. And it's a lot of I guess it's a source of some of the main stressors, especially in a teenager's life, just driving from um, academic pressure, social pressures, stuff like that. Knowing that the school is there to back you up, especially if you're in a crisis or even just within um, a minor mental health problem really helps you and it helps your community as you know that as parents know that their kids are kind of protected within that realm when they're at school, as well as them being at home. So that's, I would pretty much say the same thing as Brayden is just having more programs within schools, more funding for mental health programs within schools, and just kind of create a knowledgeable amount of resources that everyone can go to. You know, a lot of years have been spent and there's more work to be done when it comes to removing stigma associated with talking about mental health. I'm wondering for you and your generation, your peers, how would you characterize how they regard uh, discussions about mental health, about being open about their own state of mental health? What is that like? I think, to be honest, I feel like our generation is pretty comfortable just as the idea has been pretty normalized just in the transitions of the last couple generations. I know for my mom's generation, 
it was not really a normal topic to talk about mental health, especially regarding topics of suicide. For us, I think it's been a little bit, at least for Gen Z, it's been pretty normalized for us to be able to talk about, okay, this is this is what defines a crisis and this is how you can get help, at least within our generation, yeah. I would say. Almost to the point where people, I mean, of course, there's jokes you would see on like social media or some people make in school about like their state of mental health in which it's like, oh, are we like almost too comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's the same thing. A lot of the times when I talk to adults who um, aren't really aware of like what we're doing and, and, and we start engaging and they say, oh, like, that's really cool. Because like when I was younger, that was, we didn't talk about that at all. It's kind of like, you, you don't talk about that. And so I think if you're someone our age, even if you kind of like decrease the stigma around the conversation. It's still kind of a, a hard topic to talk about with someone. Like it's, it's uncomfortable. Not the fact that it might be negative. It's just kind of uncomfortable getting that information out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the people in our generation at least know that there are other options. You can talk to like a, a professional and that may, might make the conversation necessarily more comfortable instead of kind of decreasing the stigma around it. I think we've done a pretty decent job of kind of establishing that idea. So yeah, I think I think kids our age know where to go. And even if they understand that the conversation still might be uncomfortable, um, they, the, the, the stigma has been decreased to where it's not really a negative thing. So you did a really interesting episode about perfectionism and burnout. I'm really interested in that as a topic uh, because studies have shown that burnout cuts across age, gender, socioeconomic status. About two thirds of adult American workers report being burned out. And research indicates that so-called perfectionists are most at risk. I'm wondering when it comes to the pressures of perfectionism for people in your age group, what does that look like? What happens as a result? What do you see? Well, I think the biggest thing is that I, the pressures among students now, I think, are are higher than they've ever been. I think if you just look within a very narrow range of just college applications, that's just so stressful nowadays. And, and you know, you're, you you lit, hear about all these other students who are doing all of this stuff um, and how you have to meet their standards or, or go even beyond that just to have a chance at getting in these schools. Um, I think that's um, one of the many sources of perfectionism that starts within teenagers, you know, early on in, in middle school and high school. And I think it leads to a lot of students going into stuff that they don't necessarily care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to get burned out when you're not doing stuff you love. And so you'll see a lot of kids nowadays that are doing stuff just within the scope of school and extracurriculars, they're taking classes that they don't care about. They're taking, they're, they're doing extracurriculars through school or outside of school that they're not really passionate about. And so they're, they're just trying to meet these standards of, of meeting all these qualifications, but, but they don't really care about a lot of it. And so I think that's one of the biggest things nowadays, instead of kids trying to find what interests them early on, they're, they're already fixated upon this idea of of how can I do as many things as possible, regardless of of if I'm interested in them or not. And I'm going to try and take those as far as I can. And, and a lot of times they, they don't because you, you can only go so far in something you don't really care about. And, and eventually you'll just burn out. So I think that's the biggest thing amongst 
kids nowadays is just standards are very high for what you are expected to do to get into a, a college or, or succeed past high school. And that they try to reach these standards by doing things that they don't care about. I think another source of perfectionism and burnout can also be comparing yourself to others. I mean, that's been, that's a long lasting cause of self-deprecation, especially in teens, as you're trying to find your identity and you're working through kind of these factors of per se, like school, you're also working like with your family, you're also working on extracurriculars, you're finding out who you are and what you truly like. And with that, there's going to be people that are better than you at that, or per se, maybe it's like an appearance thing, they look better than you. So just that comparative of oneself has truly been, I think, a source of perfectionism as people want to I mean, it's it's found in every age as people do want to be kind of the best in their field or the best of, I guess, within their community at what they do. But social media has kind of amplified that in which we have so much knowledge of who else is, I guess, within that community or realm um, that we might not have known about before if we didn't have those outlets. Thus, the comparative factor amplifies so much more as your available to see all these different types of people and thus like the exemplars um, within those fields. Um, So you compare yourself even more. Tell me more about your relationship with social media. You know, I'm aware, you know, it can be positive, it can be negative. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to lead you either way. Uh, You just just referenced it. So how does that play into your lives and lives of of your peers? Well, it can be definitely a beneficial thing, um, but it can also be a negative thing. It's funny, we actually just did an interview about social media. And one of the main takeaways, I think, that at least I took away from hearing others' responses and my own was just, it can be used very positively in getting information out and connecting with those who have similar interests to you. You can join communities of those who like to do the same things, have the same passions, like the same music, stuff like that. But also it can be very negative in what I was kind of touching on earlier of just you constantly have people to compare yourself to as those are the people that pop up in your feed. Sure, those are maybe people you admire, but it's ultimately people you look up to in a way as you're following them. So at least from the perspective of a teenage girl, it's very hard to grow up kind of in the digital age as you're constantly being fed of this information of women who I either want to be like or look like, something like that, as it is kind of for all teenage girls and teenage guys too, you know, and all people. There's always going to be these people on social media in which you want to be like, and just having them feed constant information to you of like, yo, you have to be like this person or look like them is just, it's overwhelming, especially as you're growing up and your brain is still developing. Yeah, I think the topic of social media kind of takes you down a rabbit hole because there's just so many different directions you can go, both positive and negative. Um, the interview that we had, I focused on a lot of different things. And and I think the biggest thing is that social media has a very negative connotation for the bad stuff that it can cause. But but they're, they're, the positives are also often overlooked. I think it's so intertwined with our lives nowadays, it's almost impossible to live without social media because it's like, that's our main way of communication. That's how we get stuff done. That's how we almost interact with people. 
when we're not even, you know, with them face to face. And so the, the problem is that when you do get to that negative end of social media, um, it starts to get really bad for, for a variety of reasons. Like Lily said, um, you can see people, uh, just living lifestyles that are unrealistic or setting standards that are very unrealistic. And that kind of goes back to the burnout idea. You see people posting on social media of their incredible accomplishments or, or how they look or what they're doing. And you, you compare it to your own life. But personally, I think the biggest problem that I've had with social media was the idea of like instant gratification. I think it's a very easy way for, for you to step outside of the life that you're living and just kind of get sucked into what, what social media has to offer. Like I'll be sitting there doing homework. I'm like, Oh, like why, why should I finish this, this homework and get a, you know, the dopamine from finishing this homework when I could just pull out my phone and scroll 10, 15 minutes, which turns into an hour of, uh, of social media. So I think that's the biggest problem is that it really takes you into this realm where, where you kind of forget around about the world you're living in. And sooner or later that can transition into, you know, planning, actual real life events with your friends, you know, it just takes up so much time. All of a sudden you, you're like, Oh, I have to do this homework now because I was on social media earlier. And then that kind of interferes with, with stuff that might be going on in the rest of your life. So I think social media is very good when it's regulated. I think if you don't have the ability to, to regulate yourself, have someone, a close friend, um, help you regulate it. I asked my parents, I'm like, Hey, can you set timers on my phone and like put a password in? So I like, can't be on this app more than a certain time because it really just takes away from, from what you're doing, uh, and, and kind of everything that's going on around you. I know you all have a, an interest in politics and policy, and I'm wondering how would you characterize your level of hope for politics and public policy as being an avenue to, for you and your peers to improve your lives now and in the future? I think what really is kind of the hope in which like I'm looking forward to is just the amplification of voice. I think people are very, when they have something that they want to say, they will say it. And thus, especially for an important topic regarding, you know, our nation's children, that's something that people are very passionate about preserving. Um, So when it's something like mental health, people will stand up and talk about it. So I have immense hope for the future of politics, especially within um, teen mental health advocacy and adolescent mental health advocacy. I mean, we're not restricting ourselves on programs implemented in schools. If anything, um, we're adding more. And as kind of Brayden and I were touching on with the magic wand question of what we would want to add, it's just more programs and the amplification of voice people passionate about advocating for mental health awareness is only going to increase funding for those programs and thus give children and teens the access to those programs and thus helping their mental health. Uh, Yeah. I I would say in the realm of, of, of mental health politics and, and kind of policy making, I, I would say I'm I'm pretty hopeful. Obviously, the House bill was passed recently, but you see stuff after all you know the efforts that that you're putting out. Uh, you see stuff in your local community that's just completely opposite of what you're trying to get done. I, I think recently there were efforts within. I, I wouldn't quote me on this, but it was somewhere around Manitou. There was uh, administration within the school district to like repeal certain like mental health programs or funding that had been implemented. And, and it's just, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who don't really understand 
what we're trying to do here uh, with these programs and with these resources and, and with trying to share a variety of voices. I think people interpret it as pushing some sort of agenda when it's really just trying to provide as much resources and provide a foundation for students and adults to get help when they need it. And, and so I, I remain hopeful, but it, I'm not going to say it's not discouraging because you still see pretty frequently um, communities uh, just here in Colorado that are trying to push back on these efforts. So, And when you think about your own lives, do you think that you'll be able to live a life that's at least as fulfilling as your parents did? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's hard to compare your life to another person's life and measure your own life, life's fulfillment, fulfillment within the scope of what they've done or what they've experienced. But I, I, I think the factor of social media obviously plays into that. I think the world of our parents when they were our ages was very different and how they interacted with each other and who they talked to. And so uh, there are are obviously benefits to living in that time. There are also a lot of negatives, like they didn't really have the resources or there was that stigma around the conversation mental health that we had and don't have. So I I think it might be a little bit unfair to compare our life fulfillment and and what we held with the lives of our parents. Because I think um, we have every opportunity to make our own life as fulfilling as possible. Um, It's kind of what we choose to advocate for and what we choose to spend our life chasing. So I would most certainly agree just in the difference of how my parents grew up and how I'm growing up, not just in like, you know, interests, but also just in the ages that we're in. I mean, we're in the digital age where technology is a huge portion of our life um, in school and with like outside of school. So with that, the fulfillment might look a little different in the path on how we get to get there. But overall, as Brayden says, my goal is to just be, you know, as happy as my parents are um, just within their lives. And I think we're on the trajectory to get there, especially with this generation, as long as the discussions are kept about teen mental health, you know, as like suicide and mental health awareness is more talked about, I do think fulfillment and happiness within one's life is still able to be achieved even within this digital age. Seems like a great place to end it. Lily and Braden, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. We truly, truly appreciate it. Okay, Lily and Braden's podcast is called The Prosperity Project. I encourage you to go check it out. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe. I'll see you.